What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Posbon, and you are listening to part two of episode 21 of VGM Generations. And with me this time is Norm Gerhardt. A visitor, and from far away indeed. <laughs> Jordan Walensky. Not even going to try. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Aaron Balacha. <gasps> I didn't pre-plan either. <laughs> It's a four-person podcast, something we haven't done for quite some time. So, uh, yeah, to make up for our two-man podcast uh, last week, for the rest of the month, we're going to have four-man podcasts. So it's uh, we're ending the year on a high note, as it it's were. It's a Christmas season. We're just giving you more. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Christmas miracle. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I guess we'll say it's Norm's turn to go first, because I went first last time. Now it's Norm's turn to go first. Norm, what? Oh, sorry. I should say our topic for this month as I always do, is Jingle Jams. So it's a christmas music. <laughs> Does that make any sense? I read Jingle music. Jams and I didn't know what you were talking about. So. Jingle Jams is trending on Twitter. Is it? Yeah. Is that because Jingle of Jams 2017. Yeah. That's right. We, we started yeah. it. Oh, nice. <laughs> no. But uh, Norm, what do you have for us uh, for Jingle Jams this week? Metal Slug. <laughs> the most Christmassy of games. <laughs> Metal Slug 3. Have you guys played Metal Slug? Not before? 3. I've played a Metal Slug. I've never played Metal Slugs. any Metal Slugs. Arcadey. Yeah, it originally an arcade game ported to lots of other systems now. Uh, it's one of the things you'll notice first about Metal Slug is the sprites and animation are just top notch. Uh, it's so much to the point that actually it was worth plugging quarters into mm -hmm. continuously just to see all the different animations and Yeah, and some of the most work. fluid sprite work oh, you'll yeah. see anywhere. Like when that... Uh, Hostage tears his pants off for some reason. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't even know what that Wait, is. That, what, what game is that from? That was so, just Aaron's special collection. That's, yeah. That wasn't Metal Slug. I actually got a note about those guys. So, yeah, it's like a, a run and gun game, but uh, just huge focus on sprites and animation and uh, the sound as well, of course. Uh, um, Top-notch team from SNK. Uh, originally came out, uh, Metal Slug 3 was 2000, arcade, like I said. Um, and... You're basically this elite squad called Peregrine Force, I think, and uh, you basically assist the the general army in preventing like a coup d'état with this guy named Morden, who's like kind of a mixture between Saddam, Stalin, and Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> Go all out, yeah. <laughs> But anyway, the most uh, evil man ever. Yeah, just a run and gun, frantic uh, shooting game. It's very much like it's basically a bullet hell run and gun, right? Yeah, like it's. It's yeah, madness. Think yep. think Contra, really. Yeah. Just like a little cartoony. bit more yeah, cartoony personality. Incredibly cartoony. Yeah. So there's these PO doubles W's that you you save along the, the way and they give you food or coins or better guns and they, they're all in boxers and they kind of salute you. They're all hairy because they've been in, in a POW camp for so long and they're like, thank you. And then they like rip their boxers off and then there's like a reward behind them. <laughs> but yeah, it's just a hilarious game. Um, like I said, the, uh, the music was also really good. It was by Noise Factory, which is just uh, an SNK developer that did a lot of the music for SNK games. Uh, and the track I chose, like I said, Metal Slug 3, because it had an ice cave, which many games do. It's called the Snow Cave of Evil and you kind of... You enter this cave and there's these yetis and these zombies that barf blood at you and uh, you you rescue like the reward for navigating the snow cave is this elephant frozen in the ice and then you ride the elephant out of the cave and it's like OP. <laughs> so, <laughs> it sounds like a plan that Stalin Hitler would come up with. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's uh, It's pretty awesome. Yeah, there's all crazy vehicles and stuff. I'll get into that a bit after, but let's listen to Snow Cave of Evil from Metal Slug 3.
What are the? Do you know what the characters' names are in Metal Slug? Yeah, it's uh, well. There's Tarma, Marco, Fio, Ari. Those are in the first three, and then they they got other ones like I can't remember what the names are, but I think some of the King of Fighters that's what characters I was, made it into the later ones. That's yeah. what I'm going at. Yeah. yeah. Now okay. I know, I know it was also co-op, but was could you do four player co-op with Metal Slug? I don't think maybe in the late late ones, like it went up to Metal Slug Seven, mm-hmm. and then there were some spinoffs, and I think they even tried out like a multiplayer online version that got. It never made it out. Hmm. I think it got scrapped. But as far as I know, only ever two players. Yeah. I have one of the King of Fighter games, and I'm pretty sure some of the Metal Slug guys are in there too. I think there's a lot of crossover with the yeah. SNK franchises. Yeah, for sure. They, uh, I well, can't there kind of always is, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like I mentioned, there's just like crazy vehicles. There's the elephant you get in this cave, and then there's your tank, which is the Metal Slug. It's this highly maneuverable uh cartoony tank that can jump and uh there's also like armed camels and rocket ships and you think this is a parody of metal gear i don't know i wonder if that's where they kind of stole it from (laughs) i think there's some parallels oh um and anyone who's played overwatch might have recognized one of the arcade machines is called i think super siege mode three yeah and it's it's obviously metal metal slug slug. yeah yeah yeah. yeah. actually i do i do get that reference (laughs) yeah and then uh yeah so uh, Part of the, a bit more about the animation is it's just like this crazy, crazy high quality sprite work and the bosses all have this crazy way of dying that just super creative. I think the original, there's what they call, I think they've called it Metal Slug Zero almost because it was the precursor to Metal Slug, but wasn't Metal Slug. It was called Gun Force 2. So it was actually a sequel to another game. But looking at the bosses and the animations, you can tell it's whoever did that moved on to do Metal Slug. And I was just watching it this morning. Uh, there's one of the bosses. You, he's flying a big plane, and when it's about the end, when you're about finished the battle, you can see the pilot like on the ground bleeding out, and he kind of inches to the back of the plane, and then grabs a warhead and does like a dive bomb outside of the plane to try and get you with it. It's just <laughs> <That's> ridiculous. Awesome. <laughs> and yeah, like uh, the bosses are just so creative. There's one. Uh, and I think Metal Slug 2, there's this super soldier who's like bare chested. He's got a massive machine gun and he's like, come on, boy. <laughs> and like when he dies, he like, you're, you're fighting him on the seawall. And when he dies, he like topples over the seawall and then the screen pans down. And this gigantic killer whale rises up out of the sea and eats him up and then returns to the deep. It's like, I don't know where it came <laughs> It makes, it's like, has no con- yeah. continuity with the rest of the game. It's like just, it's just killer free will all of a sudden out of nowhere. Crazy joke, yeah. Yeah, you play it for the spectacle. It like, doesn't even matter how good the gameplay is. It's your standard run and gun, but the, the visuals are so good that oh, you yeah. just have to get as far as you can to see as much as you can. Yeah, and I think they got, they got progressively more ridiculous in their plot and the enemies up until three, and then after three, they, they said, well, let's dial it back and make it more like just basically military enemies and scenarios and stuff, which is Ooh. too bad because in three, you like go to outer space and yeah. fight aliens and it's just insane. So yeah, Metal Slug. Very good. Jordan, what do you have for us this week? Oh boy. Oh man. If I could remember the last game I talked about, <clears throat> I feel like I'm just talking about it again now. Uh, this week I have a Donkey Kong game. <laughs> what a surprise. <laughs> but there's... Every Donkey Kong game has its uh, infamous snow levels and, and some amazing music to go along with it. I felt like I had to just bring it up one more time because, I mean, one of them has jingle jams in the title, and that's Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. And that was one of the first games I talked about on the podcast a couple of years ago, and uh, I praised it for its music then, and I'm going to do it again now. This we In this game, we see the return of a Mr. David Wise, who we've talked about constantly on the podcast. Um, he didn't do the one before, Donkey Kong Country Returns, but that was actually Kenji Yamamoto, who's famous for the Metroid series. So pretty cool to see the, uh, the correlation <laughs> between two prolific composers coming together for the, the new Donkey Kong franchise. Uh, so Tropical Freeze, what makes this one a jingle jam? Well, the entire game has a snow theme to it. Um, not entirely all ice levels, but the last world of the game is, a, is essentially all ice levels. And usually when you get a snow level or an ice level, somewhere near the end or in the middle of the game, 
But for this game, it's the final world. So, you know, it kind of throws the whole, like, usually the last world is like hell, right? It's like fire, lava, explosions. Castle. Exactly, or a castle. <laughs> yeah. And usually the castle has fire and lava, all that sort of stuff. But this game, it's all yep. about ice. So <clears throat> the story goes, Donkey Kong's celebrating his birthday. He's uh, blowing out the candles on his birthday cake. And before he could blow out the candles, the wind comes in and blows out his candle for him. Oh. And what we see <laughs> is a giant ship rolling in. There's a giant Viking ship. And they are called the Snowmads. And they've come to take over DK Island. And what happens is there's the final boss of the game is a giant Viking walrus. His name is Lord Frederick. And he blows his giant ice horn and it shoots out a giant ice dragon and it freezes the entire DK island and blows DK and his crew off the island. So what makes this game a little extra cool is the, uh, the fact that you can play as the whole DK cast. So we have Donkey, Diddy, Dixie, and Cranky Kong who plays like Scrooge McDuck. <laughs> He's got his little pogo stick hopping and you play as the whole cast and you go from island to island trying to make your way back home to your island, which is now frozen. So I think, uh, I think it ties in pretty nicely with the Jingle Jam theme. Have you guys ever played this one? I want to play it. I, I can't believe I never played it. This was a game that was on my wish list forever, and it just so much time passed that it dropped away. But it well, still uh, sounds awesome. Yeah. Well, maybe we can play it after this. I, I want <laughs> I want inside, uh, insider trading. We're, uh, we're going to have a game night after this. So <laughs> maybe we can. I have it on the console ready it? to go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Fire, we can fire it up. Have you played it, Norm? I have not. Okay. Well, the air, there you go. There you go. I, I just <laughs> want to. Aaron and Norm are doing I, I wouldn't say that's abnormal. Uh, the DK series is pretty popular, but I feel like this one went under the radar more than it should have because one, it was on the Wii U. Yeah. Um, and it came out mid to end life cycle when people had already started to give up on the Wii U. And um, it was like critically acclaimed though. Like yeah. it, people, like reviewers really liked it. When I, I, I would also argue that it's sort of marketed to look like it didn't do much different than the first DK returns, but I would say that it, it drastically improved. So this one came out in 2014, again, done by retro studios, uh, music by David wise. So, uh, I'll talk a little bit more about it, but let's stop talking and listen to some music now. So the theme I want to play is actually the theme of the snowmads, the, the baddies of this game. Um, their theme is called the snowmads theme, but it's very familiar. I can't say for sure, but I feel like it's inspired by the DK two overworld theme, uh, Diddy's conquest, the overworld theme, uh, which of course was also done by David wise. So there's a little nostalgia in the song. If you hear it and it sounds familiar, I think it comes from DK two. Uh, but this is the theme that you hear a couple times in the game as you're battling through the last world. So this is the snowmads theme from donkey Kong country, tropical freeze.
more intense than I was expecting. I kind of yeah. thought it, like being wintry. It's usually like jingle bells and whimsy, right? This yeah. is not whimsy. Well, because it's they're Vikings, and <laughs> this is the last world of the they're game. They're penguins, right? Yeah. So, so it's intense. It's yeah. Well, the bad the baddies are a combination of like there's a boss that's a polar bear. There's a lot of penguins. There's some. Uh, uh, there's the walrus is the final boss. I, I'm probably forgetting a few, but you know, it's the, the equivalent of the Kremlings from the original series, all being lizards. And here they're all types of polar animals of some kind coming yeah. from the North and the South, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's true. I guess with the, the penguins and whatnot, yeah. there's a lot of variety, but they're all animals you would expect to see in the snow. So, but the, uh, real quick, some of the themes that come across in the final world, uh, while you're while you're listening to the snowman's theme, um, so a lot of the platforming is ice, and it will break underneath you. So in a lot of games, you know, you it's no, it's typical to have platforms that crumble underneath you. But in this, because you're in the last world, it's a little less forgiving. So if any of the platforms and walls that you climb up break underneath you, uh, they don't come back. So they don't reappear or anything. So a lot of a lot of the platforming you're doing, you feel the pressure, like everything's breaking around you. You grab onto a wall and it starts cracking and you're climbing up it as it's crumbling below you. So you're like trying to race against the clock. This was a hard game. Like It was hard. And yeah. I swear to God, like this did things that platformers hadn't done before. Like how far can you take a platformer? Well, this game shows you where it goes today, like in the modern age. Like yeah. if you go back and play some of the more recent Mario Bros. Wii U games, yeah. I felt like you they were treading a lot of familiar ground and they well, didn't reinvent anything. And I feel like those were kind of dialed down in difficulty like they're to be more accessible. Like they're yeah. more for they're more family games. Whereas this one was like, no, this isn't a family game. This is a hardcore. No, it's platformer. hardcore. Like there are some levels where you're bouncing in midair off of bad guys and oh, off yeah. platforms. And like you could go for like five minutes without touching the ground. So you can't make a mistake. <laughs> some levels have up to three checkpoints and they could be like 10 minute long levels. Um, in terms of the snow theme, there was like this one part, part where you like you hit this this um, pile of snow and you know those levels where you have like the Indiana Jones boulder chasing you from behind? Well, in this game, you become that. You're in the snowball. You're <laughs> rolling down a giant hill. You're taking up the whole screen and you're having to like hop over crevices and spikes. So, you know, the ball continues to stay formed and roll down the hill. Um, my, I think my favorite level where the snowmads theme actually plays, there's a level where you're going up a mountain and there's an avalanche coming down the mountain. And if anyone's familiar with the original or this game, there are some levels where you play in silhouette mode and the art style to those levels is so cool. You'll play as like a black silhouette of Donkey Kong and all you can see is the red silhouette of his tie and Diddy will be like his hat. So it's a really cool art style. And because of that, they can throw a lot at you because your character pops more and then the background of an avalanche coming at you is all white. So you get this really cool contrast, but with that, they throw a lot at you. So there's an avalanche coming down the mountain at you. And with that is like chunks of like debris, like trees and castle pieces, and it's all coming at you and you have to hop and hop and hop up this mountain across all these platforms. And it's super cool. Like um, probably one of the neatest snow levels I've ever played and, and uh, in the Donkey Kong series as well. Maybe that's the thing I was just thinking, cause you're talking about how, uh, like in the more recent 2d or 2.5d Mario games, they didn't really innovate as much. They're playing it safe. It's Mario, but with Donkey Kong, it's not their premier series. So it's almost like that where we can take chances and try things. Cause you're talking about this game innovating and it started getting me thinking about the Donkey Kong jungle beat and how yeah. weird that was, yeah. but like how great that game was. It was a platformer that was controlled by bongos. I almost feel like Donkey Kong is like, it had a lot to live up to because Mario was already established. So it's like, how can we be the crazy version of yeah. Mario? It's just it's so different. Yeah, yeah. Um, the last level, I'm not gonna lie, is actually a fire level. I said, I, I <laughs> joked that it wasn't, but here's the cool part, is that they incorporate ice. So um, I don't know if it's the last level or one of the last levels, but you're riding Rambi, the rhino that, uh, is pretty famous to series. You're crashing through walls of ice. And as you break through these walls of ice, the ice spills into the lava and creates temporary ice platforms that melt almost instantly. So it's again, that on the clock, run, 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 things are breaking around you and the ice factors into that still. So really cool. Um, <clears throat> and just because it's Christmas time, I wanna give you a little bit more uh, real quick. Tying back to the Donkey Kong series, if anyone's ever played Donkey Kong Country 3 on Super Nintendo, 
Fun little fact, um, this is an Easter egg, and I swear a lot, not a lot of people know about this, but there's um, a little code menu that you can bring up on the, on the file select screen. And if you do that, you can put in a variety of codes from uh, like more lives, more coins, that sort of thing, typical things you would expect on a code menu. For some reason, this game had a code that brought up a Christmas theme in the game. And I don't know a lot of games that have a Christmas code. This one did. So if you input the code Mary, M-E-R-R-Y, again, this is DK3 on Super Nintendo, uh, all the bonus levels turn into Christmas themes. So they replace the, um, the typical bonus jingle with a song called Jungle Bells. And it's cool. You got the little sleigh bells happening. Instead of collecting bananas, you're collecting Christmas ornaments. And instead of collecting, I don't know, there's things you collect in the bonus worlds. They're replaced with Christmas ornaments and presents. And I don't know why it's a Christmas theme in this game, but it's really cool. And I thought because I'm talking about the DK series, I don't know when I'm ever going to bring this up again. I just thought I would throw it in one more time. So here's Jungle Bells from Donkey Kong Country 3. It's interesting because one of the things that was common with PC games at that time is that they would read your computer's calendar. And if it was Christmas Day, you would get a Christmas Easter egg. Like cool. Lemmings did it. Um, this couple other games, Rise of the Triad, which I was almost going to show on this, but um, I changed my mind. Uh, yeah, so I wonder if, I mean, the SNES did not have a calendar, but I no. wonder if this was their way of doing it. Maybe they wanted to do it and was like, oh, we don't have a calendar. So. Well, I, I, I'm, you could be onto something. I don't recall the exact date that uh, DK3 came out, but I know a lot of the DK games came out in November. Hmm. I wonder if, yeah, because I wonder if the Japanese, I don't know, it'd be interesting to look into because they did have like a satellite system for the Super Famicom, right? Yeah, they do. Yeah. So it's possible that it's there. It could have read, yeah, it could have read for time reading from the satellite. That, yeah. and it was just kept in the game. I don't know. This yeah, maybe it was crazy designed theory. for something totally different, but it never panned out, so yeah. they just left it in the game. Or maybe it worked in Japan. Like maybe in Japan, it actually, on December 25th, it actually worked. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That'd be awesome. You got it. Yeah, you got to have that X-Files theme ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to, I have to find like an 8-bit version of it and then we can insert that. That'd be good. I, I promise I'm not going to talk about Donkey Kong for at least another episode week or two. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's it for me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Aaron, what do you have for us this week? I wasn't sure what I was going to do first, but let's stay with the retro theme just because uh, Jordan was talking about Donkey Kong Country and Donkey Kong Country Returns. And he mentioned the, one of the composers I'm doing, Kenji Yamamoto. So let's, I'm, the game I'm doing from Retro Studios is Metroid Prime. Ooh. Yeah. And it had one of the uh, best at the time um, snow and ice levels that I'd seen. I really loved the atmosphere of it. So I'd say one of the best snow or ice level themes of all time. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's my personal opinion. Agreed. <laughs> And the, the track we're talking about is named after the area it was in. So it's Fendrana Drifts. This was uh, Metro Prime for the GameCube, developed by N Retro Studios and published by Nintendo in the year 2002. And it was composed by Kenji Yamamoto and Koichi Kiyuma. And uh, I don't know much about Koichi Kiyuma, but uh, Kenji Yamamoto, of course, was, like Jordan mentioned on this last track, the composer of Donkey Kong Country Returns. Returns. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And also one of the longtime composers of the Metroid series. Of course, as we've talked about previous ones, um, Hip Tanaka actually composed the original Metroid and uh, Kenji came on for um, Super Metroid. Yeah, he's done like almost every single Metroid since. It's exactly. almost like he took over and now it's his baby. Exactly. And like a lot of the classic themes that we know from Metroid came from Super Metroid and continue to this day. You hear them in, in most of the current games. So uh, Metroid Prime was the fifth game in the series. It was the first to use 3D graphics. And uh, it was interesting because people 
really wanted like we've been waiting for a metroid game for a long time i can't remember how many years it was that super metroid came out or whatever the last metroid game to come out before this but there was a metroid game that was planned for the n64 that never materialized and people kept asking about it for years and years and years and when this one uh, came out a second metroid game came out on the exact same day so metroid fusion for the game boy advance launched alongside this one so we got a classic 2d sprite metroid and this brand new 3d metroid both on the same day. So it was it's a, a great day. It was a great day. It was a beautiful day for Metroid. <laughs> it's fans. a good way to say, sorry, we haven't given you anything yeah. in a while. So here's two games. And they were both great games. That reminds me of something. They yeah. just recently did that with Metroid Prime 4. Yeah, they and, just did uh, it again. Samus Returns. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in the same, yeah, in the it's same conference like, they announced. I, I know they both didn't release at the same time, but it's almost like they come in waves of two, it seems. <laughs> that's the Nintendo's thing with Metroid. It's like hold it back for years and years and years and like build up an incredible level of hype and then finally release it. Just blue balling us. But it's <laughs> Which is fine as long as they release quality. I'm fine with that as yeah. long as the Metroid well, games when Metroid you get Prime, When you get Metroid Prime out of yeah. that, it's worth it, right? And I mean, I say this every episode about everything, but this game is considered one of the greatest <laughs> games of all time. And it, you know, for many, many years, I, I'm be, not sure if I would say be that. your nickname. Aaron, greatest game, <laughs> greatest of, all game time. of all time. Well, this game for, for quite a while, I, I'm not really sure where I'd rank it right now, but this, I would, would have considered this at the time, my favorite game. Yeah. Like it was, yeah. it was number one for, for a while. So I'm not really sure how I'd rank things right now, but it's, it's very important game for me. It was a huge deal. I remember uh, when it actually was coming out and uh, Norm and I were actually working for Nintendo at the time. And I remember the day we received the demo disc for Metroid <laughs> Prime. And we only had like one copy and it was like, who gets to play? Who gets to play the demo disc? Who gets to like take it home with them and like try Sleep out the thing? Over. <laughs> so did you guys have a system to decide that? I, I don't remember Rock, what the paper, system scissors. was. No, <laughs> we, we eventually got a couple more. Yes, we did. And I had one and I have a confession. You still <laughs> have it? No, 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 I don't have no. it. I did oh. get it back, but uh, I, I took it. I played the demo and I mailed it to my brother <laughs> in BC, said... You have four days to play this and then send it back express post. <laughs> That's the best ever. We were so starved for Metroid at that, that point. Like, yeah. <laughs> and did he do it? Did he send it back in time? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. I thought he just kept it. Yeah. And even no that hitch. demo was awesome. Like, it was the whole intro to the game where you have, like, most of your powers and you're exploring the 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 space pirates frigate. And yeah. uh, it's mostly, like, overrun by monsters, so it's, like, partially destroyed. That was, that was a fantastic demo for yeah. an overall great game. So, uh, though the game was developed in the U.S. by Retro Studios, all the music for it was done in Japan, so by Yamamoto and Kiyuma. And uh, I mentioned the Yamamoto composed Super Metroid, and he composed a lot of the tracks, like when he was at doing the actual composition for the tracks, and this isn't just for uh, Prime, but this is also for Super Metroid. He came up with a lot of those contributions while he was driving back and forth between Nintendo on his motorbike. So he would like drive on his motorbike. He would hum themes to himself. Okay. And then he would like pull over at the side of the road and say. record himself like humming these themes. And that's how he it must came add up. a little like pocket recorder or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a weird way to compose. I've never, that's the weirdest compositional like method I've ever heard. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> on that's the motorbike. That's, he, he, he said basically that, you know, he didn't really because it was so sort of mindless when he was just driving, he had nothing else on his mind. Yeah. His mind was just sort of clear Did at the moment. he live out in the like, countryside or something? Like, no a, on a motorcycle, you have to be very present. <laughs> I was going to say, that's why, that explains why Fendrana Drifts has so many car horns in the sound. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All the time. So, <laughs> it was, the, and in Prime, it was actually mostly arrangements of old Metroid tracks. And he said this was in an effort to please series fans. So he specifically rearranged a lot of Super Metroid tracks and he said it's like a present for fans so we appreciate that present yeah he succeeded yeah and the uh, so just for a few examples the initial Talon Overworld theme is a reinterpretation of Metroid's Brinstar theme the lower Norfair area and the music heard during the fight with Meta Ridley is a fast-paced reimagining of the Ridley boss music first featured in Super Metroid and those themes have appeared in most Metroid games since that point so Here's a weird fact that uh, I also found out is that we've mentioned, I, I can't remember where we landed with Tommy Tallarico. Do we love Tommy Tallarico or do, do we hate him? 
I do, okay. especially right. because of I think, uh, I think collectively playground. as a group, we're neutral. On it. We're neutral. <laughs> <laughs> it all balances out. Exactly. But I found out that uh, he and his studio actually did sound effects for Metroid Prime and oh. was uncredited. Apparently it was so early in the development, the development went through such a long process that they just kind of like fell by the wayside. And even though a lot of those final ones made it in there, they never actually were credited. That's in interesting. The, yeah, I thought that was bizarre. And one, the one thing I found funny was that they did the, they were working on it early and there was like a Space World 2001 um, where they were going to show off Metroid Prime for the first time. And Miyamoto said, no, he held it back because he didn't think the sound effects were strong enough was one of the reasons he gave. So, so he doesn't like Tommy Tallarico. So I guess not. <laughs> <laughs> Miyamoto thinks it, I don't know. And uh, the Nintendo GameCube was also, on the sound side of things, one of the uh, first Nintendo systems to support surround sound. That's right. Yeah. So this, this was a big piece for it. Had, it supported Dolby Pro Logic 2 surround sound, and Metroid Prime was a big showpiece for that. And I, I remember, remember it was that. like, yeah, it was a huge thing. It was a big deal, yeah. Yeah, I hadn't really experienced that before. And I remember I, uh, I also, I, I made sure, I, what was like S-Video connection that I had to make sure that I had that connected to so I could get the full... Um, 60 frames per second yeah. with, with, the, with the thing. Because if you held, you could only access it in Metroid Prime if you held down the B button when you were like starting the game. Yeah, there was a couple ones that had that. And actually, if you had the, um, did we talk about this last time or did we talk about it off, we, off we, air? It was, yeah, it was off air. But yeah, no, if you had the uh, component cable, you could also, it also took, um, made use of the component cable so you could have progressive instead of interlaced. Mm. And uh, yeah, it looked fantastic. And yeah. you noticed that on the Wii as well because that, that cable is yes, really works. hard to get for yeah. the GameCube, but you can get it very cheap on the Wii. And, and I noticed when I was loading GameCube games on the Wii that it would tell me to hold down the button yeah. if I wanted it in like, what is it? 480 4D, yeah. or P or I. 480p instead of I. Instead of I, yeah. yeah. So you're getting double double the amount of lines on yeah, screen yeah. is essentially what it is. But yeah, it looks great, colors great, and then obviously sounds great because <laughs> of the surround sound. <laughs> also, I found it was really interesting that uh, they only had, for all of the soundtracks on Metro Prime, they only had six megabytes of space to work with. Oh God, yeah, it's so tiny. <laughs> they had to fit it into six megabytes, so they found, I guess, a lot of really clever ways to work around it, but that seemed kind of shocking mm -hmm. for me, so. So I've, we've said all this, but I haven't, we haven't even played the track yet. So without further ado, it's Fendrana Drifts from Metroid Prime.
You think I'm saying that right? Andrana drifts. That's how I say it. Yeah. That's how I say it. Yeah. Uh, is there another way to say it? <laughs> I don't know. Friend, friend Actually, Drana drifts. Friend Drana drifts. You say Pahendrana. Yeah. <laughs> Pahendrana drifts. Pahendrana drifts. <laughs> uh, the other thing, this is the level with the ice bat, right? Yeah. Yeah. So well, I th- we've mentioned this before, but. I'm just going to say that. Uh, one cool thing was that when you get to Fendrana Drifts, they have a lot of the regular enemies, but they're all ice themed specifically. So. Yeah. And then so and in Metroid Prime, if you haven't played it before, a big component of the game, if you want 100 percent, the game is the scanning. Right. And that was like super cool. And uh, but you only get one shot like you get like maybe half a second this, to get the ice bat. Yeah. And if you shoot it by accident, that's it. You're done. <laughs> and it only takes one shot to kill him, essentially. Yep. Yep. So, you know, you 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 have to get close enough to him so he doesn't fly at you right away and then you've got to scan him which he's small so yeah, you have to basically know he's there to yeah, do it so like it's on your it's um, for most people if you didn't have a friend to tell you or read a magazine uh you had to uh you had to do it on your second playthrough and that's what i did i didn't know on the first playthrough so later on i did a second playthrough of prime with a checklist that i printed yeah. off from IGN. It was a checklist of every scannable, one scannable item. item in the game and some items, some things and bosses and whatnot in the game, you had one shot at and that was it. If yeah. you didn't scan it at that moment, you were out of luck. It wasn't like Breath of the Wild where you could buy the photos in the shop <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> no, they yeah. hadn't come up with that yet. No. The, the easy mode of buying photos, yeah. So that it didn't respawn? I didn't know about this thing. Well, the ice bat does, I think the ice bat specifically does. It's just hard to get. Right. And but there were some other areas in the game where either if you didn't scan it right away, the area would change or something would change and right. you couldn't get it later. And then things like bosses, which yeah, if bosses. you didn't scan it at the first point, then you're I don't think the ice bat responds. The ice bat may not. And yeah. it only like appears. Because I remember yeah. I remember it's just the one time because yeah. I remember like stressing over it on my second <laughs> playthrough trying to get it. But uh, yeah, I think I've talked about this before, but just quickly, um, like you talked about, you know, playing the demo for the first time and that like blew your mind. And that was my experience as well. But I played the demo in a blockbuster uh, when my blockbuster decided that they were going to like focus on games and they only kept it for like six months because it ended up being a disaster. But they basically set up a giant big screen TV and I had a GameCube there and we're showing off all the latest games. And I walked in with my mom when I was a little kid to go look for a movie for the weekend or whatever. And I saw Metroid Prime and there was nobody there. And I sat down and like played it for the first time. And that blew my mind, like <laughs> playing that opening sequence and stuff. That was amazing. Well, it was cool too, because I think in the demo and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was on a timer. So once you started playing it, yeah. it would reset after two minutes. Yeah. And you could you complete, only had so much. Yeah. You could complete the demo in under two minutes, but you had to be pretty fast. Yeah. So the demo went all the way through until fighting the Parasite Queen. And you had to be really fast and then beat the Parasite Queen. Queen and then the demo would end but yeah. if you couldn't do it in the two minutes you i think i think i uh i may have played it multiple times then yeah <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i just remember it, how great the game looked like that was one of my first experiences seeing a gamecube game and i was just like wow this game's yeah well how about that commercial too oh man I, I, uh, I just <laughs> thought of it when mike was <laughs> yeah, yeah. It too because <laughs> where all the armor is like being like magnetized to or almost like Iron Man kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I thought you were talking about the live action commercial. Yeah, the live yeah, action. actually recorded a live action commercial for this game where a, a fully live action Samus runs through an environment. That's what I'm shooting thinking, enemies. Yeah. You even see that there's a CG ship. So the ship like flies in. She comes out of the ship, flips off of it, and then it's her running through the environment, shooting enemies, and even using the grappling beam to like grapple across things. Yeah. It is an awesome commercial. I still have a copy of it on my computer. We should, you, we should post that on Twitter. You Which is like, <laughs> what resolution is that? 320 by 240. Yeah. It is tiny. Postage stamp. Is yeah. Real player or? And I, I, I can't remember. It may be real player, maybe quick MLB, time, but the resolution yeah. and the compression is just garbage because this was a million years ago, right? But it yeah. was awesome. It was a great commercial. And I don't think it got a lot of airplay. I do remember seeing it as a kid. I I remember seeing it on YTV or whatever at the time, but yeah, that was that was awesome. And some well I wish I knew, but some well-known director actually directed that too. Like it was <laughs> I remember at the time it was kind of like somebody people have heard of has actually directed Steven this commercial. Spielberg. <laughs> James Cameron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like just it was like John thing. Woo or something like that. Yeah, but, that'd be awesome. Know. All right. Uh, Sorry. Can I mention one last final thing? Just because we're still talking. I didn't really mention much about like ice theme or Christmas, but I just want to say how Fendrana Drifts fits into the uh, Metroid lore. And it's, uh, you come through Magmar Caverns where it's all like lava and ice and fire and stuff. Suddenly you're in this big snowy environment and the space pirates um, built a base there because um, as most of us Metroid fans know, Metroids are weak to the cold. So they had a base built there specifically to keep the Metroids 
slow and docile while they while they worked on him. I thought Metroid Prime actually had a pretty slick story. Yeah, so. they did a good job. And there's like logs of the space pirates bickering amongst each other, and it's brilliant. <laughs> and like test subjects where they tried to replicate the morph ball and stuff. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> talks about how like all the broken bones. And yeah. Oh, man. Wasn't, uh, didn't you also, your, uh, you heard your footsteps in the snow? Um, yes. It yeah. actually had like cool sounds for like uh, the sounds. This is commonplace now, but it wasn't big for me at the time. Yeah, it was a big deal like, at the time. Your, the sounds of your footsteps would change depending on whether you're on like a metal catwalk or whether you're walking in the snow. And I know what you're going to mention because <laughs> I was it. thinking it as well, <laughs> which is, uh, it, 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 I remember first starting the game and when you start in the Talon overworld, you come up out of the ship and it's raining. And so it's kind of raining. And I remember like looking up into the sky and like the drops of water are hitting your visor because the heads up display and it was really cool. It was actually like yeah. a physical visor with your stuff on it. You, you were literally Samus looking through the visor. And one cool thing is that if you, uh, if there was like a bright flash, if you like were near a wall and you powered up your charge beam and shot, there would be like a really bright flash. And for just a moment, you could actually see Samus's eyes, her face reflected back at you. That was the that coolest was thing. Ever. <laughs> that was so cool. Blew my mind. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like um, a, yeah. Go ahead. Maybe you get a blast in the face from steam or something and then yeah. there's condensation. Yeah. 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 It yeah. was so cool. Actually, I have to mention, um, this is an aside, but I saw a little while ago, it was a guy, somebody has created a like an emulator that is specifically built to emulate games for um, VR. Hmm. And so he was wearing an Oculus and he had the hand controllers and he was emulating Metroid Prime. So like your right stick becomes your head. And watching, it was only like, he, he had cut together like five or six games he had done. And, but seeing the Metroid Prime demo and there's a spot where like he shoots something and it like splashes him on the visor and his like visceral reaction of throwing his head back. I was like, I want to try that. That looks so <laughs> that cool. That would be awesome. Yeah. And uh, just on the topic of technologies that uh, Metroid Prime, of course there was a sequel to Echoes mm -hmm. and there was a third one, Corruption, which came out on the Wii. And later on for the Wii, that was released as a three pack where they actually which retrofitted the controls. Which is super hard to get now. Yeah, it came out like in a steel book. It was really cool. Yeah. And I always, I had opportunity to get it and didn't and I always regretted that but I will say that recently like I think within the last couple of years they've re-released that as a digital download on the Wii U so if yes. you have a Wii U you can buy that complete Metroid Prime trilogy for uh, you know with for the motion Wii U controls on, on, yeah on the eShop so. do you know if you can play it either way I don't I want to check that out because uh, I don't think you can it's only because I remember because right? I have it and I remember playing it and wondering I might, would I prefer the GameCube method? And I switched back to the GameCube and I went back and forth. I couldn't figure out which one I liked more, but I, I don't prefer, think I you prefer can switch. I prefer GameCube controller. Yeah. I didn't like the motion control. Oh, yeah, you, know, you know what it was? I think I wanted to go back to the GameCube because of, and this will turn into a tangent, so I won't go far <laughs> enough, but the, the GBA attachment for, yes, for Prime does, isn't compatible with the trilogy. So that's why I wanted to play the GameCube. Yeah, and if you had the attachment, you connect them together and you had a copy of Fusion, you could actually play Prime. And that's why. In I, the Fusion scene. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, right. That's what it was. Yeah. I was like, what is that GBA attachment for? But thank you. You, yeah. you got there. Yeah. <laughs> we got there. All right. Let's get off this because it's <laughs> going to on forever. All right. It's time for my pick. So uh, my pick for this week is Super Smash Bros. Melee. Uh, and the Christmassy, wintry song I'm picking is Icicle Mountain, uh, which is obviously the Ice Climbers theme. So uh, uh, of course, this was developed by HAL Laboratory, published by Nintendo. Uh, the three composers are Hirokazu Ando, Shogo Sakai, and Tadashi Ikigami. So uh, I've talked about this game lots of times before. Uh, it's my most played game. It will forever remain my most played game no matter what comes out it, over the course of the rest of my life. Nothing you know will ever hours? touch it. Mm -hmm. I, can't, I have no idea. I think I estimated one time, but I don't even remember what it, it's. It's absurd. I want it, stats now. I want all of our <laughs> like number one games and hours played. Actually, my friend uh, used to say that like he would love that like, <laughs> like you know how they say like when you die, you get like you have like flashbacks and stuff. He's like, I want a counter. Like he's like, I want like stats when I die. So I'd be like, how many hours did I spend playing this game and stuff like that? And That's like it. my melee number would be like, oh, I spent more time playing melee than sleeping. How did that happen? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it might. It might be close. But um, yeah, just to recap every Friday for in high school from about five o'clock till midnight pretty much constantly. So yeah, that's why it'll never be topped. Um, so uh, to go into the music uh, for this game a bit, um, the this was, again, 
the first Smash Bros on the GameCube and uh, Sakurai, who's the uh, kind of the brain of Smash Bros forever um, from HAL Laboratories. He really wanted to record with an orchestra for this game. And um, people at HAL and Nintendo were uh, worried that it would cost too much. They were like, I don't know if we need it. Like the, you know, the MIDI is pretty good. Let's like maybe just stick with that. And he was like, no, he's adamant. He's like, and he said like, I'm recording with an orchestra. Either you're paying for it or I'm paying for it. And then when he went into like his boss's office and said that, they were like, all right, you can record with an orchestra. Yeah. Well, if you go in your boss o- boss's office and say that, they're going to be like, well, you're paying for it since you offered. So. <laughs> and and uh, Smash wasn't the juggernaut that it is today yet because the N64 didn't prove that it was worth an orchestra yet. That's true. Yeah. Melee was kind of the one that turned it around, right? So, yeah. um, or not turned it around, but made it what it is. Uh, and so they, uh, his boss finally relented and they recorded with the new Japan Philharmonic in Tokyo. Um, some of the stories, um, they're like just from the recording and from the orchestration and stuff. So uh, or Sakurai, um, when they did the, one of the things they did not for icicle mountain, but for the main theme of the game, which I actually talked about, I think last month, uh, the opening screen, uh, obviously it has music that's very synced up with the visuals. And when they were recording that part specifically, uh, Sakurai was basically live storyboarding the visuals as they were playing, as the orchestra was playing the piece of music. And it was so stressful and so, um, so intense that he actually collapsed and had to be hospitalized the next day. Um, just from holding stress. up, holding up storyboards. <laughs> it was stressful. just like, just trying to like perfectly sync everything yeah. and like making it all work. And he said he, he had already had like a lack of sleep and was very stressed just from the development of the game, but that kind of put him over the edge. And he was like, he had to go to hospital the next day and have like an IV put in and stay in the hospital for a few, like 24 hours or something like that. Um, the other thing was, uh, so uh, Sakai was kind of the uh, Shogo Sakai was kind of the head composer. I think he was the one that just had a little more experience. So he kind of re- led the composers a little bit, but they all worked on there independently for the most part. But um, when it came to the orchestrations, um, uh, he was worried that some of the music that Ando had composed would be too, would be almost impossible for an orchestra to play because previously he had only composed for video game music. So, uh, they, he had really drastic time changes and stuff like that, where he was like, I don't know if an orchestra is going to be able to pull this off. And, uh, when they went in to record with the orchestra, they had like five or six backup plans if his music didn't work. And he was just like, I don't know. That's just how I compose music kind of thing. So I thought that was funny. Um, the, uh, one last thing I'll say before we listen to this is, uh, this is obviously a, um, an arrangement of uh, the two different songs from the NES game Ice Climber, um, and uh, Sakai or Sakurai. Sorry, it's hard. It's hard with so Sakurai. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sakurai. Um, uh, in terms of arrangements for the uh, for Melee overall, he was extremely, extremely picky about the way they sounded. So. Um, because he had pretty much played every single game that was in melee at some point in his life. And so he knew how he thought they should sound. And so when, um, when the composers would send him something, sometimes he would be like, no, it's too far off the original fans aren't going to recognize it or fans aren't going to like it. And he would send it back. And the one that he sent back the most times was, uh, the Hyrule temple music, uh, which is the music from, um, Zelda two like the best one. And yeah. And, uh, he sent it back six times <laughs> before they would like it because he didn't, uh, the timing and the notes, like the, um, the spacing of the notes wasn't quite precise. And I actually uh, heard a demo of it and it's just like, it's such a fractional difference. Like any, unless you listen to it side by side, you would never know, but he picked it out right away. Are we talking about the part that goes right after that? Yeah. So, oh. Yeah, it's that part. Okay. So it was, and it was, it was just like, it was basically, it had to be a 16th note and it was an eighth. And that was like, that's the difference we're talking about. It's like so minor. So if you played the demo, most people wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah. Like he, and like, even the, even the composers were like, who had listened to the original music and sent it in were like, what's wrong? Like, what, what is it that you don't like about this? And he was like, right here, this note. <laughs> and they're like, really? And he's like, yep, that note's wrong. <laughs> I appreciate so, the attention to detail. Cause that is like one of my favorite video game songs. Exactly. Of all time. I, knew, yeah. I knew you would be on that one. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, but, uh, Oh, I gotta, I gotta wonder, you know, there's like a whip cracking in that track and it works, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know how it made it in there or what, re- what relevance it has. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure. Everything about that song is right. 
Yeah, like exactly. the rearrangement <laughs> yeah. of it is is fantastic. But so. yeah, but yeah. So anyway, very picky about the arrangements, and this is one of my personal favorite arrangements. So let's listen to Icicle Mountain from Super Smash Bros. Melee. say that like ice um ice climber was actually one of the very first nes games that i ever played and i'm a i'm a big ice climber fan like i loved the original like there's not much to it it was like those early uh like black box nintendo games that didn't have a lot to them but i'm a huge fan of ice climber all the black box games were pretty interesting yeah but uh i i really feel like ice climbers got a resurgence because of smash only the hardcores really played uh the original ice climbers and nobody like it was such a weird, obscure thing to pop up into Smash, and I was really hoping that, you know, now that they're on people's radar, are we going to see a real Ice Climber game? That would be great. Or Balloon Fight. Or, or Balloon Fight. Yeah. Well, and then the Icicle Mountain stage really paid homage to the original Ice Climber, right? Because you're constantly moving up, mm-hmm. which is, if you haven't played the Ice Climber game, that's basically the whole game is just get to the top of the top of the mountain before the timer runs out yeah, and then grab a pterodactyl to get the bonus yeah. stage because that makes perfect sense yeah that was weird uh i i like i had never played it before now when i was doing research for this track i like watched some footage and i was like where's the pterodactyl come from <laughs> like this is a mountain why is there a pterodactyl here i thought they were warm warm climate <laughs> creatures but yeah um 
So uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about uh, with this song specifically is that this also appears in the album Smashing Live, uh, which if you don't know, it was a it was a album that was given away via Nintendo Power in North America. And uh, I think also through Nintendo's magazine in Japan. Um, and that was a concert. Uh, so this this song appears in the Smash Bros. Great Medley song, which is like 12 minutes long and has part, uh, parts from all different songs from Smash. Uh, but that is a concert that I would have given anything to go to at the time. Like, I wish I could go back in time and see like that one concert. Like, thumbs? That kind of thing? Like, yeah. take my thumb and if I can see this concert? Well, maybe not my thumb. I need my thumbs for gaming. Maybe my pinky <laughs> or something. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, this the reason this concert was so cool, like, obviously I think all of us have been to video game concerts of one kind or another at some point. Um, but, uh, this one was amazing because it was the new Japan Philharmonic in playing in Tokyo with the same conductor that conducted them when they did the recording. So this is like as good as a video game concert could get in my opinion. What year was that? Uh, I don't know when it was recorded. It was recorded shortly after the game came out. So it probably would have been 2001. And, uh, Tazo, uh, Tazo Takemoto was the name of the conductor. And um, the one funny story about that is uh, when they were thinking who should conduct the orchestra when they were trying to find an orchestra for this game, um, they were looking at all these different conductors. And uh, he was, <laughs> Tazo was um, partially chosen because of his proximity because he lived in Tokyo. And they were like, we know they're doing it in Tokyo. And they were like, well, why are we picking someone from like Osaka? Like, why don't we just get a guy from Tokyo? <laughs> Which I just thought was like the funniest rationale, but they said he actually was uh, really thrilled about uh, um, conducting for a video game. He had done lots of movie and TV work. And he was saying that like um, video games were kind of the future of music he felt. And so he was very excited to be uh, composing for this. And I have this uh, smashing live. I have it. Um, I think a friend actually of mine had it and gave it to me and I, I ripped it and I have it on my computer and I listen to that album probably once every couple of months. It's just, it's a fantastic album. There's actually, there's one part uh, in one song because they did the recording uh, live with like a live audience, uh, hence smashing live. And um, there's one part in one song where there's a cough, somebody coughs in the audience and I, I know when it's coming up. And like, if I don't hear the you cough, cough like, along, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but no, it's not that I cough along, but it's like, that's how many times I've listened to it is like, I know which track and where the cough comes. Yeah. So it's ridiculous. I, but yeah. I, I can think of songs like that too, where it's like, there'll be like a dog barking in the background and like, yeah, I'll bark with that dog. Cause I know what's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. So, but you know, I just have to say as all of us as big fans of like uh, rearrangements and remixes of classic eight uh, bit, 16 bit video game music. Smash was a huge revelation because here we had like official versions, arranged versions of all of these songs. It was like the soundtrack you always wanted. Yeah, exactly. That's why I love it. It's part of the reason I love the Smash game so much is that you get everything that's good about Nintendo in one spot kind of thing. And, and every, then sometimes things that are good about Metal Gear and Sonic too. <laughs> On every Smash update too, they don't just take the old music that they've recomposed. They do all new stuff every, every version too. Yeah. So it's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, and I do appreciate the um, how strict apparently they were with the music uh, on this on this game because I mean there's tons of remixes online and a lot of times it'll be so far away from the original content that you can't even tell. I mean I appreciate artistic, uh, yeah, you know artistic uh, experimentation, but you just can't beat. Yeah, you can take your artistic right? license, that's fine. And some people do a rearrangement where that's the point and it's great. But if you're trying to like capture the essence of the original, like yeah, stick to the original, like yeah. do it right. I, and I love a good game where it's basically like, this is the version you heard in your head when you were a kid. This is exactly what it would be like if you took those 8-bit sounds and turned them into a full orchestral instrumentation. Yeah, no, and that's, yeah, like like you said, Norm, I, I appreciate it so much too, and that's why I'm so happy that Sakurai was so strict. And and it was so cool for him to be like, because all the other composers were talking about, oh, I didn't play this game or I didn't play that game, but I had to compose for it, and he's like, no, I've played all of them. <laughs> like, he's like, he's obviously like, Sakurai's like the, the hardest core of gamer and like the hardest core Nintendo fan ever, so that's kind of, I love that the, you know, he is the steward of these games, and, and, and I can't wait to see, I don't know, Smash 5 and whenever that comes out on the, on the uh, switch or whatever. 4.5 or 4 or 4.5. I don't care. Whatever. <laughs> Grab your switches. Cause you know, there's going to be a prime Metroid prime four. There's going to be yeah. a new smash. There's yeah. going to be, it's going to be, it's going to be good in a couple of years. Anyway. So yeah, that's uh, that's it for our picks this week. I guess it's my turn technically to talk about what I've been playing. Um, and I'm actually, I went back to a game that I talked about a few weeks ago that, uh, that we can still add into the giveaway. And that is Sonic mania. I uh, picked, 
I picked Sonic Mania back up and uh, played a few more levels of it on a on a quiet morning. So uh, I've talked about it before, but this game, I I I can't wait to feature in the podcast because the music is so good in Sonic Mania. It's um it's half new levels, half old levels, and the old levels have like these reimaginings of uh, of classic tracks done by a guy named T Lopes who started out as just like a remixer, one of those OC remix guys and then did so much Sonic stuff that when they were making this game they went and picked him up and said, "Hey, you want to compose for the game?" and he was like, "Yeah, sure." So, <laughs> when you say picked him up, imagine they like drove by his house, threw him in a van, yeah. and, like grabbed him off the sidewalk, <laughs> put him in a basket. Yeah, it's yeah. funny when I said it too, I got that picture. I don't know why you must've beamed it to me, yeah. but yeah. So yeah, uh, we're going to add Sonic mania to the giveaway. So that comes uh, Sonic mania. And uh, we added last time overwatch loot boxes, which is going to be uh, in there for till the end of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to enter cause I want to win Sonic mania. Yeah. Sonic mania is a great game. So uh, it's yeah. If you want Sonic mania, one of the finest games to come out in the last year, IMO. Uh, if you don't win, you get Sonic forces. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. If you enter late, you get Sonic Forces. Apparently just a terrible game, um, but almost funny. It's so bad. But uh, yeah, so to win that giveaway, it's the same as always. Uh, you just got to hop on your social media platform of choice and interact, interact with us in any way, shape or form you so choose. Um, so that means uh, like, share, subscribe, retweet. Tell your grandma. Favorite. Tell your grandma. Send us a, you know, Anything, anytime you, uh, you send us a note or tell us that, you know, you played the game along with us or anything like that. I love that sort of stuff. And of course the thing we like the most that's worth the most entries into the giveaway is reviews. So if you can hop on iTunes and leave us a review, um, that's, that's fantastic for us too, because it moves us up the iTunes rankings so that more people get to listen to the podcast. Uh, so yeah, that's it for this episode of jingle jams 2017. We hope you enjoy it and we'll catch you guys next time.